0: Good morning, everyone. Well, would you join me? Let's pray to open up our time together and let's dive into Matthew after that. Father, Son, and Spirit, we just thank you that you are present in this place. I, I love the lyrics of that first song Holy Spirit, come rest on us. Jesus, we want to be open to hearing what you have to say. And Spirit, give us the courage to respond. And join you in the work that you're doing in this world. Would you open our eyes, open our hearts as we read your word? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the question today that I want to start with is, have you ever been in a situation where you have faced a task that seems much greater than the resources that are in your hand? Have you ever faced a situation where the task in front of you seems much greater than the resources that you hold in your hand? Well, for me, I found myself in this situation around three years ago. I was helping out with a summer kids' camp. And as a part of the kids' camp, they said, well, here, Ashish, you have a hula hoop. And I'm not going to do anything fun. Don't worry. It's just just an (laughs) illustration. (laughs) You have a hula hoop. You have a couple pool noodles, and your goal is to create team-building activities for the kids. And I thought, all right, this is my only mission, so I'm going to dive headfirst into this goal. So I used the hula hoop, and I used a couple pool noodles, and I created an extravagant obstacle course, as extravagant as an obstacle course with pool noodles and a hula hoop can be. And then as a backup plan, I set a couple hula hoops on the ground, and they were for the kids to do that team building activity where you all hold hands, and then the hula hoop has to go from one side to the other, but you can't let go. You all kind of know what I'm talking about, team building activity. So as the kids walked in, they were having a blast. They loved the obstacle course. They loved doing the team building activity with the hula hoop. And I thought, this day is going great. Nothing can stop me. But I was wrong. After lunch, a group of kids walked in, and I did not know what I was in store for when I saw them. These were four-year-olds. Now, I thought that the obstacle course that I had made was age-proof. Anyone can have fun with this obstacle course. But the four-year-olds neither cared about how extravagant the obstacle course was. They couldn't even walk through the obstacle course. And so I said, "Okay, that's all right. I have a backup plan. And so I took them and we all stood in a circle and I put the hula hoop on their arms and I said, all right, this is the team building activity. But it quickly became apparent that even that was not going to work for these four-year-olds. And it dawned on me in that moment, I had a backup plan, but I did not have a backup to the backup plan. And at that exact moment, it also dawned on the four-year-olds that I did not have a backup to the backup plan. And they took over. They revolted. They went wild. A memory that will forever be burned in my mind is all of them holding hands, and they began to sing in unison, the wheels on the bus, and they would pull each other down, and then they'd get up, and they'd pull each other down, and then they'd get up, and I'm standing here with a hula hoop and helpless. (laughs) The task in front of me that I was called to do seemed way bigger than the resource that was in my hands. I don't know what to do. Now, maybe your task is not entertaining four-year-olds, but I feel like we've all been in seasons where the task which God has called us to or the mission that God has placed on our life seems way bigger than the resources that we have in our hands. Have you ever been in a season like that? Maybe it's an interpersonal relationship where God has called you and, and invited you to ask him for wisdom on next steps. But you look at your hands and you're like, Lord, I don't even know where to begin. Maybe it's an issue you see in our city, which could be the housing crisis, it could be the issues of injustice or inequity all around us. And you feel like God is calling you to join in what He is doing. But you're like, Lord, the tools in my hand, I just don't feel like I'm ready. In the face of a task so overwhelming, how do we respond when our resources seem limited? Well, today in our passage, the disciples face a similar predicament where the task that God has called them towards seems way greater than what is in their hands. And in the face of that task, we'll find that Jesus invites the disciples to cling to him and bring what they have. To bring what they have and cling to who Jesus is. And who is Jesus? Well, Matthew talks about that in our passage this morning. So, let's dive in. Now, if you want to follow along in your own Bible or you have an app that you like, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. It'll also be on the screen as well if you want to follow along there. Now, as we've gone through Matthew we've learned that one of the main questions Matthew asks is what kind of kingdom is Jesus going to bring? Matthew talks about this kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, and Matthew asks, what does this kingdom look like? And last month, we walked through the Sermon on the Mound where we discovered this is what the kingdom looks like. This is the new kingdom that Jesus brings. Now, as we move to the center of Matthew, Matthew starts to weave in another question. This kingdom needs a king, and so Matthew begins to ask, what kind of king is Jesus going to be? Or to use language from today, what kind of leader is Jesus going to be? What kind of leader is Jesus? And so as we read Matthew 14 this morning, kind of keep that question in the back of your mind. What does Matthew say about the leader that Jesus is or the leader that Jesus is going to be? So, Let's begin in verse 13, chapter 14, verse 13. Matthew writes, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, just pausing for a second, when Jesus heard what had happened, well, what had just happened? Earlier in chapter 14, we read that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was killed. John was killed. And so you can imagine the grief and the pain that Jesus felt having just heard that his cousin had died. This is what Jesus is feeling as he withdraws by boat. But hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. For we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. What a crazy miracle, right? In the face of a crowd of thousands of people, Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and multiplies it to feed everyone, and not just feed everyone a little bit, feed everyone till they were satisfied. Now, as we go through this passage, I think there are three things that Matthew highlights about who Jesus is as a leader. And so let's start working through those three things. So Matthew asks, what kind of leader is Jesus? The first thing that stands out is that Jesus is a leader who sees and stops. Jesus is a leader who sees and stops. When Jesus heard what had happened, so we just read that John the Baptist was killed. And Jesus hears about this. His cousin has died, and he's feeling grief and pain and probably a little bit of frustration and anger at what happened. And so Jesus does what we would expect Jesus to do. He withdraws to a place to just be by himself, to just be alone. But it's almost like someone in the crowd saw him walking by boat, or walking by boat, saw him traveling by boat to that place, and it's like, oh, come on, friends, Jesus is here, and they go and find Jesus. Now, have you ever been in a mall or a grocery store when you see someone that you really don't want to say hi to from a distance? What do you do? If you're like me, you hurry your pace. You don't make eye contact, because if you don't make eye contact, they will not come to you. You maybe pull out your phone and pretend like you're busy. Or if you're like me and you're in a Walmart and you see a neighbor you don't want to say hi to, you go and hide behind a couple of Christmas trees. That's what I did. I'm not proud of it, but here we are. But what does Jesus do? He sees the crowd. And instead of moving on, no one would have blamed Jesus for moving on. No one would have blamed Jesus for ignoring the crowd. But Jesus sees the crowd. And he stops because Jesus is a leader who sees and stops. And not only does Jesus stop, it says that he had compassion on the people. Now, this is not just a surface level kind of love or care, but the Greek for compassion refers to this deep feeling that you feel in your gut, this deep feeling of love and care towards the people. That's what Jesus felt. So Matthew reminds us Jesus is a leader who sees and stops. Second, what kind of leader is Jesus? Jesus is a leader who invites. Now the crowds begin to gather, and as evening approaches, the disciples, who we found out in other accounts of the story, are also hungry and tired. They say, Jesus, send the crowds away. Let them go find food elsewhere, and let's let's just take a break. But Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You feed them. At this point, if I was a disciple, the panic starts to set in, because I look at what I have for dinner, and it's just five loaves and two fish. And I'm like, Jesus, you want us to feed 5,000 people with just this? This is impossible. What are we supposed to do? But Jesus is a leader who invites, and I think these next few words are key for this passage. Jesus says, bring them here to me. Bring what you have to me. Now, Jesus knew what he was going to do in actually John's account of this passage. John tells us that Jesus asked this question of, hey, give them something to eat in order to test the disciples, to see what are the disciples going to do in this moment. Jesus knew he was going to provide for the people. He knew he was going to feed all the people here. But this was more than just feeding thousands of people. Jesus, I think, was also teaching a lesson on obedience and trust. Jesus is a leader who invites, and so Jesus invites the disciples first to obedience, to step forward and join the work that God was doing. And second, Jesus invited the disciples to trust. It would be so tempting for the disciples to look at their hands and see five loaves and two fish and say, I'm going to place my trust in what's in front of me. When Jesus is saying, no, I don't want you to place your trust in what's in your hands. I want you to place your trust in my hands. I want you to place your trust in the one in whom you are giving this bread and this fish. This is who I want you to place your trust in. I don't think the story is so much about the bread, but it's about posture. It's Jesus saying, hey, I want you to walk in obedience. I want you to walk in trust. Another way to phrase this is Jesus invited the disciples to bring what they have and cling to who Jesus is. Bring what you have and cling to who Jesus is. So bring what you have. This is important. They couldn't just hang back, but they had to step forward. But then they had to trust. Trust the one who had the power to take what they could do and do the impossible. The one who they had seen earlier heal the sick. The one who had calmed the wind and the waves, who had authority over nature. The one who had authority over demonic forces. The one who was God with them. that is the God that they were invited to trust. So Jesus is a leader who sees and stops. Jesus is a leader who invites. And finally, Jesus is a leader who provides. So the disciples bring the bread, and Jesus takes the bread. He gives thanks, and he breaks it. And the rest is history. 5,000 people were fed. And in fact, the text says that there were 5,000 men, not including the women and children. And so some scholars think that the number was closer to ten to 20,000 people. That's how many people Jesus fed with five loaves and two fish. This miraculous story of God's provision, Jesus being a leader who provides. But when we look at the story, we have to realize that this is much deeper than Jesus just providing in the moment. You have to look at this uh, passage through the greater arc of Scripture. If there's one thing we know about Matthew, Matthew loves quoting the Old Testament. He loves finding correlations. And so we have to look at this passage and ask ourselves, all right, this is a story about people being in need needing sustenance, and God miraculously providing bread to feed the people. Now, when you think of God miraculously providing bread to feed the people, when you think of an Old Testament story, is there an Old Testament story that stands out? A person or or a situation that you can think of? Manna, yes. All right, so in the Old Testament, You have in the book of Exodus, Moses, God has just delivered the people out of Egypt. And Moses is leading the people. And as they go into the wilderness, the people suddenly realize, well, what are we going to do? We're hungry and we need something to sustain us. And so they cry out to God and say, God, help us. And what does God do? He provides He provides manna or bread for each day that is going to sustain the people of Israel on their journey. So in this passage in Matthew, we have Jesus not only providing in the moment, but we have an example of God providing in the past, a reminder that this is the God who provided in the past. Of course, God would provide in the present. We've seen him do it before. But not only do we have a God who provides in the past, not only a God who provides in the present, but this is also a foreshadowing to how God would provide. When you look at the passage, you see Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples. Does that sound familiar in the New Testament? Every Sunday at Mill City, we celebrate communion, where we remember that the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples. But the disciples... They couldn't even fathom the depth to which God was about to provide. See, in this story, God provided in the moment. He provided bread or life or sustenance for the crowd. But what Jesus was offering the night he was betrayed was he was just like, hey, I am not just providing life in the moment. I am providing everlasting life. I am providing a way for you to be in relationship with a God who loves you more than you could ask or imagine. I'm providing a way for you to be set free from sin and death. I'm providing a life where you can be free from fear, free from shame. This is what I am providing. And so as we look at this passage in Matthew, we have to realize, wow, there's a picture of God providing in the past. There's a picture of God providing in the present. There's a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do in the future. And Matthew is taking all these pictures and combining them together and saying, listen, this is the king you've been expecting, Israel. This is the leader you've been waiting for. And this leader is going to provide more than you could ever ask or imagine. So Jesus sees, Jesus invites, Jesus provides. But what does that mean for us today? As we step out of this room and as we head into our everyday spaces, what does that mean? Now, we might not face a situation as overwhelming as feeding 20,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. I mean, you might. I'm not saying you never will face that situation, but chances are you're going to have more than just five loaves and two fish. But aren't there situations where we feel like the disciples, where God has called us to go to a place, where God has called us to reach out to a person, where God has called us to join in, but at first glance and second glance and third glance, we look at our hands and say, Lord... The task to which you're calling me seems way greater than what is in my hands. You kind of feel this helplessness set in. So, what do we do when the task in front seems way greater than what is in our hands? Maybe you feel this when you look at our city and you feel God inviting you to do something about the housing crisis. You feel God inviting you to step towards issues of injustice or inequity and, and you think, Lord, This is too overwhelming. I don't even know where to begin. Maybe you sense God inviting you to join him at work, to change a culture that you know needs to be shifted or to raise the voice of a person that normally would go unnoticed. But you say, Lord, the tools in my hand. I don't feel prepared to do this. Maybe you're a student in middle school, high school, or college, and you sense Jesus nudging you to say, hey, go say hi to that person who is lonely. Invite them over. Invite them to hang out. But when you even think of that conversation, that conversation seems really scary and intimidating. Maybe it's your own personal life where you know that God has placed someone in your life and you need wisdom to know how to love them best. Maybe this is a kid and you're like, wow, Lord, you have placed this child in my life, but I don't even know where to begin when I think of trying to love them. Maybe it's a relative or a neighbor, and you need wisdom on when to step forward or wisdom on when to step back and set boundaries. Because setting boundaries is a way that we can show God's love and God's grace, but you need wisdom on how to do that. And you look at your hands and you're like, Lord, I don't even know where to begin. What do we do when the task in front seems way greater than what is in our hands? Well, I believe we follow the invitation that Jesus gave the disciples, which is to bring what we have, and cling to who Jesus is. Jesus invites us to bring what we have. Now, one thing, when I say bring what we have, it's easy to think, well, this is another expectation that Jesus is placing on us. Jesus is saying, you have to bring what you have. But instead, I want us to reframe that this morning. And instead of an expectation, I want us to see it as an invitation into expectancy. To say, Lord, you are inviting me into the kingdom This is your invitation for me to join in the work that you're doing. So Jesus invites us to bring what we have. When you look at your life, when you look at the places you feel the Spirit is moving and inviting you to join in, the first question I want to ask this morning as we look at our everyday spaces and look at how to apply this message is what is one thing Jesus is inviting you to bring? bring? Now, this doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a small thing. For the disciples, Jesus asked them to bring what was in their hands. And so maybe an easy way to visualize this this morning is to hold out your hands in front of you and say, Lord, I feel like the Spirit is calling me to do something. I feel like the Spirit is asking me to join somewhere. What's in my hands? What is something I can bring to respond to that invitation to join in the work you're doing? Now, maybe you look down at your hands, and the one thing you can bring is the person that God has made you to be. Maybe as God has created you, you found out, wow, Lord, you've made me a good listener. You've given me the gifts to host people and create spaces where people feel safe and known. You've given me the ability to encourage, to invite, to create, to imagine, to think practically or to organize. This is who you've made me to be. Maybe this is the thing I can bring you as I head into this week. Maybe you look at your hands and it's a resource that God has given you, that God is saying, hey, I have given you this resource and I'm inviting you to bring that to me. For some of you in our community, it's been a backyard. That's been a resource that you've brought. Maybe it's a business. I know as a musician, for me, it's an instrument. This is the resource that I have that I can bring to join Jesus in the work that he's doing. Now, I know for me, a few years ago, I felt God inviting me to respond to this need for clean water through World Vision. And if that wasn't a daunting task enough, I realized, wow, I still haven't even gotten to the marathon part. That's exhausting. I feel like any Lord of the Rings fans out here watch the movie? Yes. There's a scene where Gimli the dwarf is running through the field, And he yells out, I'm wasted on cross-country. Us dwarves are natural sprinters, very dangerous over short distances. This is how I feel deeply about marathons. But I knew that God was inviting me to join in. And so I asked, Lord, what is in my hands? And in my hands, I was like, well, I can walk. I wasn't to the point of saying I could run yet, but I was like, I can walk. I have shoes. I can use those shoes to join you. And when it comes to inviting people and raising awareness, Lord, you've given me a personality that encourages others. You've given me a personality that naturally invites people to share what I'm doing in my life. You've surrounded me with a community that can join me in this mission. This was my five loaves and two fish. This is what I could bring to join what you're doing. Now, maybe this morning you look at your hand And you look down, and they're calloused and worn and tired. And if you were to use the illustration of bringing what you have to the table, you might not even get to the table because you're exhausted. Like, Lord, I've tried to follow you in this mission, and I am so tired. Now, if that's you this morning, maybe the thing that Jesus is inviting you to bring is just yourself. To just bring yourself and rest in the grace that God has given you. Rest in the love that God has for you. It says in Matthew, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And so maybe that is the thing that Jesus is inviting you to bring, just yourself, to come and rest. Now, this brings us to our second question. So the first question is, what is one thing you can bring? The second question is, what is one way you can cling to who Jesus is? What is one way that you can cling to who Jesus is? See, these two things go hand in hand. We can't just bring what we have without clinging to who Jesus is because our resources aren't going to solve the problem themselves. If we place our trust in what's in our hands, we will find ourselves getting discouraged very fast. But Jesus invites us to not only bring what we have, but to cling to who Jesus is a God who can do the impossible, a God who is faithful, a God who hears, a God who listens, a God who is with us. This is who we get to cling to as we head through the week and join the Spirit in our everyday spaces. So what is one way Jesus is inviting you to cling to him this week? I think of certain practices that you can step into. For some, the practice is prayer. What would it look like to cling to Jesus through prayer this week? Maybe it's on your way to work, turning down the radio, and instead spending that time just talking and listening to Jesus. That could be a simple practice this week. For others, it's dwelling in the Word. I know for me, this past winter, I've actually spent time in the Psalms. And so some days I'll read a whole chapter. Some days I'll read just a verse. Whatever time is available, I'll just do that. But that's a way that I can cling to Jesus and remind myself, this is the God who I trust. This is the God who can take what I have and multiply it beyond what I could even imagine. Maybe for some of you, it's listening to music before you go to school. Maybe for some of you, it's taking time to walk in this beautiful creation that God has given us. To spend time in nature and say, Lord, look at all that you've created. Look at all that you've provided. This is the God I can trust. What does that practice look like for you this week? The practice to worship, to remember who God is and remember who we are because of what Jesus has done. Now, here's the cool part. When we bring what we have and when we cling to who Jesus is, Not only does it transform us, but it transforms the world around us. I think of the disciples. When the disciples uh, provided the five loaves and two fish, and Jesus used that to miraculously provide for thousands of people, there were 12 basketfuls left over. What a tangible reminder of this is what trusting in Jesus can look like. This is what trusting in Jesus becomes. When I think of joining God at work and being transformed by the work that God is doing, I think of this illustration of a marathon. I remember the first time I ran, I ran two miles, and after the two miles, I just felt exhausted. I was like, I can't do this. This is just too much. But the more I took steps toward where God was calling me, the more that I brought what I had and clung to who Jesus was, I found my muscles get stronger. I found my lung capacity grow, and I was able to run further and further and further. I think in the same way, when we respond to what the Spirit is doing, and when we step closer to where God is inviting us to go, not only does it transform the world around us, but I think the Spirit starts to transform us, to grow muscles of faith, to grow muscles of trust, muscles of discernment, where we're able to see what the Spirit is doing and have the courage to join in. Joining Jesus transforms us as well. Now, I've seen you do this, Mill City. This is not something I'm saying, well, this church doesn't do this. No, you do this. You bring what you have and you cling to who Jesus is. I've seen this in the MB project where I've seen people bring their experience in the housing industry and say, hey, Jesus, this is what we have, but we're going to cling to you. And I've seen doors open wide. It is so cool to see the way God is moving. I've seen this as I've heard stories about doctors and teachers and counselors as people have come in and you're like, Lord, I need help. This task in front of me seems way bigger than what I have in my hands, but I'm going to bring what I have and cling to you. And I've seen people helped and lives restored. I've heard stories from discipleship groups and neighborhood groups where you have stepped out and said, hey, I'm going to host a space. I'm going to create a space and bring what I have and cling to Jesus. And not only are people changed, but you're changed as well. This is the God that we serve. This is the power of bringing what we have and clinging to who Jesus is. So as we head out this week, two questions. What is one thing Jesus is inviting you to bring? What is one way Jesus is inviting you to cling to him? Now, sometimes we will face seasons where God invites us to join the work that the Spirit is doing. And in the face of a task so overwhelming, you're going to look and you're going to feel like, wow, I have a hula hoop in my hand. What in the world can I do? But instead of being a church that steps back, would we be a church that steps forward? That leans into what the Spirit is doing in our city, leans into what the Spirit is doing at work, in our schools, in our lives, and say, Lord, here's what I'm bringing, and I'm going to cling to you. And Lord, would you use me as a vessel And work through me. And Jesus, would you transform not only this world, but would you transform me in the process as well? What can you bring? And how can you cling to who Jesus is? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you for who you are. Jesus, we thank you that you're a God who sees and stops. Jesus, thank you that you're our God who invites us to join in the work that you're doing. And God, thank you that you provide because we could not do anything without that provision. And so Holy Spirit, I pray the prayer we prayed earlier. Would you rest on us? If there's a place that you're calling us to go, if there's a person that you're calling us to, if there's something that you want us to let go of, if there's something you want us to hold on to, but we just don't feel like we can do it, Holy Spirit, would you give us strength and courage? to bring what we have and cling to who you are. Jesus, you are a God who's worth holding on to. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.